You know when sometimes we would go to movies and there were the previews, the coming attractions. That was one of my favorite parts because they take all the best parts and they bring it together and you get to see the preview. It's like that's what Jesus is saying. These are, pre these are signs that the kingdom of God is victorious. And there's these signs on earth now where we get to see a glimmer of what eventually God is going to fully do when the kingdom of God is consummated in all of its fullness at the end of, of human dating of time. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is titled Signs of Hope and was based on Matthew 11, 1 through 6. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. Last week, I was listening to NPR while I was commuting, and uh, they were sharing the results of a survey from uh, different listeners, but also from some of their different correspondents. And the question was, what's a word that captures the theme for the last year? And so think a minute in your mind of what that word or that theme might be from the last year. The word that rose to the surface was the word fatigue. We live in a weary world, don't we? And because of it, we're looking for signs of hope. Signs of hope that the pandemic might at some time actually end or that we'll figure out a way to live with it more fully engaged with life. We're looking for signs that the economy is not going to spiral into inflation to where it'll be damaging for all of us to be able to just pay the bills every month. We're looking for signs that the fracturing of racism and a political division, let's remember 2022 is another it's a midterm election year. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of closing my eyes because of that. But we're looking for signs that there will be some kind of change, aren't we? We're looking for signs that there will be peace in our world, especially now as a couple of hotspots, we see more than 100,000 troops now uh, gathering together uh, at borders. And we're, we're looking for signs that our church and churches will be able to again fully gather together. This morning is a great example where more than 75% of those who are worshiping today are worshiping remotely. And so we're one church in multiple locations here in the house and in locations all over this area and all over the country and some parts of the world. But we're looking for signs of when we can actually fully gather back together again. We live in a weary world, but let's remember that the tribe of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, the community of Jesus, has an unquenchable hope that nothing in this world can ever take it away. Oh, the events of our world can bruise that hope, <laughs> can feel like it's stomping on that hope, can make that hope much more difficult to see, but we have an unquenchable hope that nothing in this world could ever take away. A hope that we can encourage each other with. A hope that we can express as we love and serve and care for our neighbors. Throughout history, oftentimes it's in the midst of crisis that it's the church's finest hour. And then there's other times in the midst of crisis where the church kind of mimics the crisis of the culture. 
I pray that we will arise and be a people of unquenchable hope. But then we ask, well, what are, what are the signs of hope that we can hold on to in the midst of the fatigue and the weariness and the challenges we face? Let's explore four signs of hope that Jesus gives to us and that He gave to one of His most beloved relatives, someone who He loved deeply, John the Baptist, when he was in prison. We join me in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to join together in verse 2, either in the House Bible or your own Bible. Those of you who are worshiping remotely, uh, get your Bible or queue up your device. Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to join in verse 2. When John was in prison, uh, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. And so he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist is now in prison for a couple of reasons. First of all, he confronted King Herod about his sin. He, he spoke truth to power, and because of that, Herod had him imprisoned. And as we know, there would, there would be a time coming soon when he would have John's head delivered to the woman who he was living with, who was actually his brother's wife, which is what John had confronted him about. And John's head would be brought in in a silver platter. Also because the Sanhedrin, the religious establishment, were jealous of John, right? They're in Jerusalem with their power base, yet crowds of people are flocking out to the wilderness to see John, and they're troubled by this. And so because of this, John has doubts. Now, we need to give John a lot of credit because he hadn't really seen a lot of what Messiah was doing. He'd heard, but he hadn't seen the things that the people of his generation were seeing. And so he's doubting, he's wondering, he's growing fatigued in prison as his expectations of the, of the Messiah just don't seem to be happening. Now, this is an amazing change, amazing doubts by John. Let's, let's, let's go back to the first time John the Baptist ever saw Jesus. It's recorded in John chapter 1, verse 29. And, and John the Baptist sees Jesus and he immediately stops and he says, look, I mean, here's, here's all these people flocking to him, listening to him. He says, no, look, look, everyone, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed. In Luke chapter 3, we see where John says, as he's asked, are you the Messiah? He says, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. Listen, the Messiah is one more powerful than me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. Matter of fact, I'm not even worthy to take the strap of his sandal and untie it. That's what a slave, what a servant would be. What he's saying is, I'm not even really worthy to be his servant. That's how great the Messiah is. And then in John chapter 3, kind of a famous line, he must become greater, I must become less, or he must increase, I must decrease. See, John the Baptist's whole mission in life, his calling of God has been to make Jesus the center stage. But now he has doubts. Because he wonders, wait a minute, I, I thought the Messiah was going to conquer the empire. I thought the Messiah was going to liberate us from our oppressors. Matter of fact, I, I thought the Messiah could probably rescue me in this prison. Where is he? You know, when we're in the prison of doubt or of pain or of suffering or, or of fatigue with our faith, we can ask some of the same questions, can't we? You know, God, it'd be nice if you showed up. 
at this time, at this moment of my life or of human history. And you see, what's really happened is John has confused expectations. I would have had the same thing. He has confused expectations of the Messiah. He can't understand how come Messiah hasn't formed an army and conquering the empire and raising up Israel. But imagine if Jesus would have done that. Imagine if Jesus would have given in to the moment and followed the expectations of the Messiah of the culture around him. Well, for his generation, it might have been great. Quash the empire, raise up Israel. But you see, the issue is you and I wouldn't have a savior. Our world wouldn't have a savior. It was a shortcut. And Jesus wouldn't yield to those expectations of his culture. Instead, Jesus' first coming was all about sacrifice to pour out his grace. Then Jesus will return, and that will be about glory and authority and judgment, which is really justice. Anytime you see the word judgment in Scripture, if we struggle with, I don't like judging, fine, put in the word justice. It's God's bringing his justice through his judgment to banish evil. You see, Jesus first appearing, the one that we read about in Scripture, was to bear judgment. Our judgment from God upon Himself. To bear judgment. When He comes back, He will bring judgment upon evil and banish evil forever. In the meantime, God is being very patient with His grace. Do we have confused expectations of God? You know, God, why don't you just smote evil? I don't, I don't know how often I pray that. God, you know... I remember when ISIS was on the move and I prayed, God, you know, would you have some of their leaders come to Christ? Wouldn't that be the greatest witness? Would you do that? If not, God, would you just take them out? Right? And I think sometimes that can be out of a righteous indignation. Okay? But it can be easy for us to say, God, why don't you just take evil and just banish it and just wipe out those evil people? I thank God that God has been patient because God would have wiped me out. I would have been toast except for God's patience and His grace. And so, sometimes it's difficult for us to know that God is being patient with His grace so that people who have been oppressors might come to grace and change. And there was a community in the province of Asia, which is Turkey today, uh, who were asking the same question in the late first century, they're, they're wondering, we're going through this persecution. This isn't really what we signed up for. We're following Jesus. What's happening? And so Peter writes to them. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, this is what he says. Remember that our Lord's patience means salvation. I know how often I pray, Lord, would you just come back? Would you just come back and restore all of creation, banish evil, do, do your thing? And then sometimes I say, well, you know, God, actually... Would you just wait just a little bit and continue to be a little more patient? Because there's people I love who aren't ready for you to come back. The downside of that is it means that sometimes it looks like evil is reigning in the midst of God's patience. And so John asks an insightful question. Are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? You know, we can ask that so often, can't we? Are you the one? Are you the person? If I just had this person, then I know my life would be so much better. You know, if, if I could just change my body image, I know people look at me differently and I'd feel so much more valuable. You know, if I could just kind of break into that social circle, 
then I know I'd feel so much better about myself. If I could just achieve that job status, my life would radically change. If I could just have more stuff, then my neighbors would view me differently and they would respect me. Or maybe we turn to a substance to just forget the whole thing. Those become messiahs to us. We say, oh, just, just that one thing. John's asking, is that the one? We ask that sometimes, don't we? Is that just the one thing when we become desperate I, I can grasp onto? And that's, that's going to become like a messiah to me, but that's like jello, just when we grab it. We realize that on the other side of it, we're worse off than we ever were. It became an idol for us, and it shapes us more like that idol. You know, even good things can become an idol and replace God and warp and damage us. But here's the good news. Does Jesus condemn John? John, you're John the Baptist. What's God? You supernaturally, it was revealed to you, I'm the Messiah, you did this great ministry, and now you doubt, John, I'm disappointed with you. That's not what Jesus does. Isn't that good news for those of us who doubt? Because we want First Baptist to be the safest place on earth, to struggle with our doubts, to, to, to have God's grace raise and change our lives. Doubters welcome to wrestle with who Jesus really is and the reality of the gospel. And so Jesus gives us four signs of hope, primarily to John, but we can listen in and hear these. Move, move down to verse 4. So Jesus replied to the question, are you really the Messiah? We're kind of doubting this. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, for years, I thought, this is an interesting grocery list. What is Jesus talking about here? Why doesn't he just say, yes, I'm the Messiah? But he gives this grocery list. And just even the last few years, just in doing some different reading that, that kind of triggered things has caused me to study this and thus part of this sermon series. These are four signs of the kingdom of God. These are four previews. You know when sometimes we would go to movies? Remember the days we went to movie theaters and we watched movies? Maybe someday, right? And there were the previews, the coming attractions. That was one of my favorite parts because they take all the best parts and they bring it together and you get to see the preview. It's like that's what Jesus is saying. These are, pre these are signs that the kingdom of God is victorious. And there's these signs on earth now where we get to see a glimmer of what eventually God is going to fully do when the kingdom of God is consummated in all of its fullness at the end of, of human dating of time. Here are those four signs. Number one are healings. When Jesus would do healings, they were both great compassionate moments, but they were also signs. Matter of fact, did you know miracles? The key word in Greek for miracle, especially in the Gospel of John, are signs. Miracles are really signs. They're not just random miracles. They are signs that point to something out of that miracle. And so healings are signs of restoration. You know, the worst virus in all of human history is sin. Our souls have been infected by sin. Our bodies are decaying toward death because of sin. Did you know, the Surgeon General came out recently. Do you know that the mortality rate in the United States is now 100%? Do you know what that means? You're going to die. It's 100%. Why is that? Because of sin. Our bodies are slowly decaying, okay? And, and 
Creation is out of harmony because sin entered the human race. That's why diseases, disasters, depravity. But you see, God is at work in restoration. And there will come a time when on the other side in eternity, there will be complete restoration of what was before the fall, before sin's virus slithered and did its, its depravity and its damage and its decay, and there will be a perfect restoration. And these are signs that there's going to be a healing. Look, here are examples of it. Here are signposts of that. Second thing are exorcisms. All right, They aren't mentioned here in Matthew 11, but in Luke's version of the same passage, exorcisms are, are mentioned. When Jesus would exorcise demons, sometimes he would even call, he'd say, hey, demon, what's your name? I'm Legion. Oh, well, Legion, get out of there, okay? And he would exorcise demons. That was a sign of victory of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness. It was a sign that someday evil and sin and depravity are going to be banished from the restored perfect Creation, that sin has been defeated, that Satan has been dethroned, that the kingdom of God is invading Satan's kingdom. It's a preview that sin is banished, Satan is being expelled, and captives are being set free, and that evil someday will be cast outside of the eternal city. We've all probably read different times, and it's, it often goes viral where, there's, where, where we read that there's been a child, or an adult, you know, especially a woman, but let's say a child who's who's been abducted. And everyone kind of holds their breath because we know someday, somewhere in the darkness, they're being held, we're in anguish, and then finally somehow there's a raid, there's something, and, and that child has been rescued and set free, and we celebrate. That's, that's really what these exorcisms are. When Jesus exorcises demons from people, what it's really showing is that Jesus has invaded the kingdom of darkness and He is taking the captives and He's setting them free. And it's a, a sign of what's happening spiritually every day. And it's also a sign of what will come in all of its fullness in the cosmos in eternity. The third of the types of, of miracles that are signs that Jesus lists is resurrections. When Jesus would raise someone from death. These were signs of the defeat of death. Jesus has won victory over death and resurrection in eternal life. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes, Christ has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who die. Now, we know that a farmer or gardener, when there's first fruits, there's kind of a celebration, right? Because it's, it's that first sign of green or that first fruit uh, that has been born, and, and, and there's a realization of, yes, that means there's a harvest to follow. The first fruits is a sign, the harvest to follow. Jesus is the first fruits of the defeat of death and of resurrection. It's the first sign. Jesus is the first sign that many will follow, and Jesus will raise us to eternal life. And so the resurrections are signs of the defeat of death. The older I get, you know I'm still kind of a young buck, right? But the older I get, some of you are laughing, and I know a lot of you remote were laughing because there was nobody around. But seriously, think about it. The older I get, the more, the more I'm, I'm planning toward e eternity. Because this life will seem like a blip. 
it's not dress rehearsal. It's important. Everything here is going to impact eternity, but it's, it's going to someday be this blip compared to eternity. And the fact that Christ has won victory over death and that by His grace we have an eternal home waiting for us where all of the stuff that fatigues us in this world will be banished and we'll live in that perfect restoration of the garden which will then become the city of God in perfection. And then finally, the fourth of the signs. We've had healings, exorcisms, resurrections, and then good news to the poor. This is the kingdom reversal that Jesus came to bring. Where those who are powerful, who oppress the marginalized, those who are privileged and are selfish with their privilege at the damage of others, those who are wealthy and neglect the poor, those who are religious and feel out of their pride that they don't need God, the gospel's an offense for those people. And you and me, when we move into those. Let me repeat that. Anytime we feel powerful and we oppress others with that or try to control people, anytime in our privilege we're selfish with that privilege in a world filled with needs, anytime out of wealth, then we neglect those who are poor, oppressed, damaged. Anytime in our religion we feel pride like, I'm doing fine, I really don't need God. In those times the gospel is an offense to us. And the gospel is bad news. But for the poor, either those who are marginalized culturally, who are oppressed in our world, who recognize our spiritual poverty, or who have privilege and care for the poor, the gospel is good news. It's good news for the poor. It's what theologians often call God's preferential interest in the poor. Did you know that? God has a preference for the poor. Now, not necessarily the socioeconomic poor, but those who are poor, those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed, and those who with privilege steward that to help raise up those who are spiritually, socially, economically poor and oppressed. That's what it really means to be poor. Blessed are the poor. It means when we recognize our poverty, and we spiritually need Messiah Jesus. And then we're going to steward whatever privilege God entrusts to us or we earn because God has gifted us and open opportunities. Four signs that the kingdom of God is coming crashing in. And we see glimmers of that today that are a hint of what's to come. And so Jesus says because of this, there needs to be a response. Look at verse 6. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus, or, uh, John was on the verge of stumbling. He was suffering in prison. The word stumble is translated from the Greek word skandalon. In other words, anyone, <laughs> Jesus is really praying, I pray people won't be scandalized by this. Another good translation could be offended. I pray people won't be offended by this. Do we wrestle sometimes? with unrealistic expectations of the Messiah and it offends us? God, why don't... Where were you when I was hurting? God, why, why don't you do something with that person who I love? God, why didn't I have that job? God, I'm really offended. And it's okay to feel like that because remember, John's wrestling with that. He, he, he's being real and Jesus doesn't chide him. Instead, Jesus says, well, here's four signs 
that I'm at work in this world and that what is to come is worth waiting for. By the way, while you're waiting, get to work. That's what God's really saying. Because Jesus has inaugurated a kingdom and we are called to Christ's mission, which means we're working toward helping bring those previews on earth as it is in heaven. Those previews so that people can see and experience and taste just a bit of what that kingdom of God is in our time, in our zip code, and the people we share life with. And so we're still about helping to bring the healings of Jesus. Rather it be everything we can do to help people's bodies to be cared for, and everything we can to help make sure that every person possible's soul will bring healing that Jesus has and salvation in Christ. And we still want to see exorcisms happen. We want to see people cleansed of sin, that the power of darkness will be exercised as people come to Christ. And we also want to see oppressive systems in our world dismantled and see God's shalom flourish. We still want to see good news for the poor, where poverty is alleviated, where the marginalized have dignity, where those who are spiritually poor become rich in Christ. We still want to see resurrections where people who have had their hopes die long ago can come alive with the hope that comes in Christ. We'll see these signs of hope and, and have the hope of eternal life. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're called to be emissaries, ambassadors of, of this kingdom that's breaking through one life at a time, one act of generosity at a time, one act of love at a time, one act of mission at a time. So here's what this is all about. Here's, here's our greatest hope, or at least part of that. We, we could talk about hope every Sunday the rest of our lives. But in Christ's mission now, we're helping people to see coming attractions of what the kingdom really is. And, and we have the hope of restoration. That someday, those who are in Christ are going to see the restoration of God's perfect cosmos. I don't know about you, that's huge motivation for me. It makes it worth it to follow Jesus even when it's challenging, even when it's sacrificial. I pray that we'll help give each other doses of God's hope and that we will be people who will help spread the hope of Jesus among our neighbors. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.